1: You're listening to the Testudo Times Podcast, the official podcast of SB Nation's Maryland Terrapins Colossus. And welcome to episode 145 of the Testudo Times Podcast, where I'm informed by Thomas before we started recording that for the red out, Maryland decided to bring in Spider-Man because he wears red. And also blue? I don't get it. Because they could. Can you explain this to me? Because
2: they could, and they felt like it. And
1: honestly, it was kind of cool. Well, the first thing I thought of was uh, Emo Peter from Spider-Man 3 as our friend Sean Montiel. Uh, thankfully tweeted me a gif of that after I made that joke. And uh, that's, that's, that's the greatest Spider-Man film memory ever until Into the Spider-Verse. But before we get into Spider-Man movie talk... I just found that bizarre that that was there last night. Then the cheerleaders were dressed up in the Spider-Man outfits and the announcers were all confused as to why it was happening. It wasn't explained to me beforehand, so I wasn't prepared for it. I was just kind of surprised. But, hey, you know what? It made Maryland Games interesting because that game wasn't particularly interesting. Uh, Justin's also here. Do you have any opinions on Spider-Man at Maryland Games?
3: Uh, I do not, but as I'm talking to you in a hallway by my apartment, I'm slowly walking down and, you know, Pointing my fingers at the sides a la toby Maguire and spider-man 3
1: yes we are and it that that gif is basically well the one that sean tweeted at me is basically maryland sports incarnate as i later came to realize the first thought that came in my head was tom holland must have done absolutely everything there is to do in the whole of humanity before going to a maryland basketball game on tuesday night in january against northwestern but We'll leave that for Spider-Man, whatever the one that's coming out in the fall or the summer this year. I can't remember which, or the Avengers movie. You take your pick. Uh, I guess maybe talking about Spider-Man would have been more interesting than talking about Maryland basketball if we hadn't seen Maryland do what it did last night, Thomas, and it was kind of thankful that they played the way that they did because that Illinois loss was... <sighs> yeah, it was, it was certainly a surprise, and it's,
2: it's the kind of game... You know, Mark Turgeon seems very confident that, te- you know, teams just have games like that. You know, ideally, there's a world in which Maryland can have that game against the team like Illinois and get away with it, and they couldn't. But they they definitely played well against Northwestern. The Wildcats did not play well at all. But Maryland more than did its part and kind of kept serve up at least a
1: little bit. Well, part of that was because – Northwestern couldn't shoot anything. I, we've seen Maryland teams go cold, but Northwestern went cold for the entire game. But Maryland also turned the ball over a bunch, as they do. Anthony Cowan sat most of the game with foul trouble, I believe. You guys said that it was the fewest minutes he had played since his freshman year against a mid-major. So that's something you obviously don't want. And In many ways, it was not a game where Maryland played at their best, and yet Northwestern was so bad that it didn't really matter. And I guess... For Maryland, Thomas, they, they needed that because after that Michigan State game, everyone was like, okay, there's no shame in losing to Michigan State like that. They're really good. After Illinois, everybody's like, well, guys, is this a wall? What, what's happening here? And so they responded nicely in a home game against a team that's clearly inferior to them, and they played like it. And that, I think, was the response that most Maryland fans wanted to see.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know – Even still with the Illinois loss, you know, it dropped them half a game behind Purdue in the standings. They're only half a game ahead of Wisconsin, who they play next. And so, you know, the cushion that they had on third place, which you didn't really expect it to last that much because a couple of other teams you would have expected were going to separate themselves from that Big Ten pack. But, you know, now they're kind of of in the race and – you know with this tough stretch coming up it's how can you stay in it
1: it seems like though that Maryland's kind of in that next tier we've seen Ohio State fall off a cliff Nebraska's had some bad luck with injuries they've also gone down Indiana's gone way off the map so it's Maryland Purdue Iowa and Wisconsin kind of in that mix then Minnesota towards the back end uh and yeah there is a bit of a concern now but There's so many games left, nine of them, that the double-by isn't entirely in focus yet in many ways. And Maryland plays basically all of these teams still, so they'll have a chance to get their own say. Uh, Justin, when you look at last night and you look at the way that they responded to how they played against Illinois, the announcers talked a little bit about how Maryland had a penchant to end first halves really badly, which is true, and then it just kind of slips into the second half. And in Illinois, they were up by eight, and... Early in the second half, you thought, Maryland's going to pull away. They got the kinks out. But Illinois never went away, and then Maryland kind of never knew what hit them. At least against Northwestern, they started really fast and built up a lead, and because Northwestern couldn't shoot, it never got close. But it's that kind of game where all of your bad habits come back to bite you in a game where you're not prepared for that sort of – the way that it played out against Illinois is not something that I think even Maryland thought – yeah, if we play like this we could get away with it, Illinois has got five wins. Not something that they should have done.
3: No, and I think I said this on Saturday, like basically what you said, you could kind of tell like Maryland just kind of didn't really know what hit them. I mean, Illinois clawed their way back into the game and then just kind of played better and like they wanted it more. Like they were hustling more, getting key offensive rebounds, running better offense and then it wasn't even that their defense was that great that forced all the turnovers. Just Maryland was kind of, you know, lackadais- lackadaisical on offense and just didn't really play with, you know, the intensity we've seen, kind of, you know, took their foot off the gas too early. So last night, you know, definitely encouraging with a Northwestern team that still, you know, has something to play for, still kind of on that, you know, fringe bubble, you know, NCAA tournament birth contention. So it was good to see. I know Northwestern was basically cold the whole night, but, you know, Bruno Fernando had a nice night inside against one of the top post players in the conference. <laughs> Daryl Morsell shut down Vic Law. It was their leading scorer. So definitely some positives to take away. But I know you still said, you know, turnover is still an issue. Only 11, but definitely a few more questionable ones like against Illinois, a lot of, you know, Bad passes. Some of that was Anthony Cowan not being in the game. Some of it was, you know, just being a little careless, leading a teammate too much. And then Northwestern tried to run, but because they couldn't shoot, didn't really get anything out of it. So, still some of the things that were cause for concern against Illinois reared their, you know, ugly head against Northwestern, but, you know, to a lesser effect.
1: It just didn't matter because Northwestern was so bad, but the thing is maryland plays maybe one or two more teams the rest of the way that might not punish them for that and certainly in this upcoming stretch thomas they're playing all sorts of teams that they're going to punish them if they screw up like that and they can get away with it at home because at home they are not unbeatable but they're really really hard to beat if they play at their best at xfinity center but We've seen them not look great at MSG, and that was a de facto Maryland home game. I couldn't tell what the attendance was like at that game because it's hard to tell what the attendance is at MSG. But four of the next five are on the road, and none of those games are ones in which Maryland's going to be favored, although I grant you now that what happened with Nebraska maybe they're favorite in that one. But against Wisconsin, against Michigan, against Iowa, if they play like that, they're not going to win. They have to get some of these bad habits out, and we've said – these are habits that Mark Turgeon teams usually has, and that's true. But you figured by this point, Thomas, they'd get out of some of them. And the Illinois game, and to a lesser extent what happened with Northwestern, is a sign that this team's got a flaw. And it is one that not many teams in the nation could punish, but there are enough teams that they play the rest of the way that will be able to punish them for that. And if they want to win and to get the couple by they have to tamp down that.
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, the, the transition defense wasn't as notable of a problem until really the Michigan State game. And that's something that Michigan State likes to do, and they they got really what they wanted. You know, that was a game where Maryland didn't even turn the ball over that much. I think it was ten times when Michigan State, off missed shots and off every turnover, would be running right up the floor. And Maryland... You know, has has you know has a pretty athletic team, but wasn't quite able to get back. And you know, Michigan State took advantage. Illinois took advantage. Even Northwestern had you know a notable lead in that uh, fast break points Point category and points turnovers. off turnovers. But and those are battles that they won't really be able to lose consistently and be just good enough to make up for it uh, going forward.
1: They can lose it, but they can't lose it the way they have been losing it in these recent games. Is basically yeah. the answer to that. Is like if you lose, yeah, it, they I,
2: can't I, get blown out in those categories because it's harder. To, it's going to be harder to make it up.
1: Yeah, yeah. And and I think. Go on.
3: Uh, I think last night the fast break points was fifteen to six in favor of Northwestern, but I believe that was because of two garbage time threes after Joshua Tamiets checked into the game, so not as bad, but then again, Northwestern couldn't hit the broad side of a barn, so it doesn't think, really matter. I think we
1: might need to kind of throw that game out, because Northwestern legitimately couldn't hit anything, and most teams are going to be able to hit something, like even Wisconsin, who started ice cold in that game a couple of weeks ago, eventually hit shots, and I don't think you're going to face any team barring some of the really bad ones they get towards the end that are going to shoot that poorly, and Certainly on the road, that's not going to happen. And Maryland has some work to do. So, Thomas, I mean Bruno Fernando played really well. Anthony Cowan's been in bizarre foul trouble the last couple of games, which is a strange thing to say. That's not normally been a problem. But that hook and hold thing last night was a little bit freaky. We're seeing some depth get going. But, I mean, Ricky Lindo, that was his first basket since, what, the Minnesota game last night? But he's not in there necessarily to score all that much. Uh, There's – A lot of things I think that this team would probably tell you in a candid moment they can improve upon. What for you stands out the most is a thing they absolutely have to improve on if they want to get above 500 in this next five-game stretch. let's
2: say. I think the two things are really just a little bit less so, but the closing of halves, that was a common thread in the two losses where against Michigan State they were tied, and then they allowed an 11-0 run to end the half. Against Illinois, they were up eleven. Allowed a nine zero run near the end of the half. You know, even against Northwestern, like Northwestern kind of got a few points back toward the end of the half, um, before Maryland went went back ahead. Um, by I think it was eleven at the break.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And you know, f- just physicality inside. This is the Jalen Smith being called sticks has kind of sh- you know shown itself the last few games against Michigan State I mean we talked about this in the last podcast but you know he he just couldn't match up with those guys and he he started well but didn't finish well against Illinois he had kind of a slow first half but a strong second half against Northwestern so I mean you know you you, you want to see a little bit more consistency from the front court especially sticks and lindo and just finishing halves a little better.
1: I think his teams are going to try to key in on... You can key in on Bruno Fernando in many ways. You're not going to be able to stop most of it, but when he's off the floor, you talked about in the plus-minus department in the game against uh, Michigan State. I don't know what the plus-minus is for him now, but I'm assuming it's a pretty stark difference, and that's something that I think Maryland's got to be able to find a plan of how do we defend the way that we know they can defend and rebound the way that they can rebound when... He is not on the floor. I think that's an important question that we don't really have an answer to yet. It's what is Maryland's plan B when Bruno is not there? And we haven't seen many games where he's in foul trouble, obviously. And he has been really, really good in most every one of these games. And I think that's another question that I have is what is the next answer? Is Are we going to see Lindo and and Smith take that next step? I think the other thing, uh, Justin, is Anthony Cowan's getting in foul trouble, and it's weird. I don't know why this is happening in the last couple of games, but it didn't matter against Northwestern, but he has to be more disciplined because Maryland is not the same team with him off the floor, even though they have Ayala and Wiggins and guys who can score and can set up the offense. But Anthony Cowan's a special player, and Maryland needs him to be successful, and they need him on the floor too.
3: Yeah, I think it's definitely a recent thing. I don't remember it really being an issue against Michigan State. I think against Illinois, he picked up You know, most of his fouls, like in that last, you know, minute, minute and a half when Maryland was trying to foul to extend the game. So I guess I don't think it's as much of a concern as you think. I do think, though, that last night he probably could have been a little bit better. He had two fouls that turned into three point plays where he could have been smarter. And then the hook and hold was, I don't really think that was a good call, but that's what the NCAA is trying to emphasize this year after what happened to Isaac Haas in the tournament. So I get trying to look for it. But I do agree, you know, Cowan is definitely someone they need to have on the floor. in Illinois, you know, after that game, Illinois players said they knew that even though there is Ayala who can't handle the ball, like Cowan is the main ball hander handler. So he may have to play a little smarter going forward. But I do think he is the kind of player though who knows You know, I can't pick up a certain foul at this point. So I'm not super worried because I don't think it's as as much of a trend yet.
1: It just seemed like it was weird that he picked up those fouls and it was just silly stuff. You know, it was stuff where he was over aggressive and he didn't need to do what he was doing in the last couple of games. Again, I don't think it's necessarily going to be a huge problem going forward, but the drop-off is there, though not as severe as we've seen with Maryland guard situations in years past. So, Thomas, we now go into this next five-game stretch of – brutalness the first one they came out at four and one and everyone should have been excited about that and everyone pretty much was this one is in many ways harder because it's four or five on the road wisconsin friday then nebraska who lost isaac copeland tore his acl which is unfortunate and they're not the team we thought that they would be their one home game is against purdue a team that if they had played the end of the game better they would have beaten Then at michigan and at iowa and in this stretch 3-2 and two is probably the one where most Maryland fans would be absolutely ecstatic if they could get 3-2, and two. and I think you could argue they're going to be favored in only two of them, maybe Nebraska, and they'll be favored against Purdue because they're at home. So in this stretch, it's, this is the defining stretch for Maryland, not necessarily as a tournament team because they're going to probably be in, but for their seeding and whether they could get a double buy or not. This is a defining stretch of the season showing how good are they and how good are they going to be in difficult environments away from home and chaining together those kinds of performances in critical times. Yeah.
2: I mean, I think you're, you're even, you know, selling how difficult the stretch is a little short because in the, the five game stretch beforehand, you know, that, that included, you know, an Indiana team that was ranked at the time an Ohio state team that was ranked 16th when the stretch began, um, you know, it included Minnesota. Wisconsin was at home and so those are the games that Maryland won and they were all good wins and they're still all pretty good wins but you know these are, these are just a whole different thing because you know Maryland it's two toughest home wins this year came against Nebraska and Wisconsin so now they have to go on the road to play those same
1: teams the only and thing with then... Nebraska is of course is the Copeland injury and they're not the same team they were so that's a, yeah. that's a thing that I think favors them in some ways uh, but, I mean, Wisconsin on the road is going to be difficult because the only time I believe they won at the Kohl Center was Melo Trimble hitting a buzzer beater. Uh, yep. Michigan, I mean, forget about it. They've been destroying everybody. And Iowa's also pretty dang good, even though they've lost a couple of games and they're not quite what they were. But Maryland's had trouble winning there in the past. So these are difficult games. And,
2: and even Purdue, Maryland's 0-5 against Purdue uh, while
1: Carson Everett has been there. And the uh, they, they, they screwed up a lot of end game situations against Purdue in recent years. Mm-hmm. The, difference, the difference with that game, though, is it, 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 is it at home and Purdue, while they've played really, really well, like I've watched most of that Michigan State game and it was amazing what they were able to do for about 30 minutes, but then Maryland is probably thinking, you know, we're better than we were when we played them in December, and if we had executed down the stretch, we'd have won that game. So I, I don't think they're going to, they're not going to take them lightly, but I think they'll fancy their chances against a team like that, but if they beat Wisconsin, it'll be the first time they've beaten a ranked team on the road in 11 years. So there's a lot that Maryland still has to prove, even though they're 21st in the country, and this is as good a start as anybody could have ever imagined.
2: Yeah, I mean, there is there is a lot to gain. There, there's still a lot to lose. I mean, you can't – you really don't want to go 1-4, and four, and you absolutely can't go 0-5. And, and those things are more possible than I think anyone, any of us like to admit.
1: Oh, I think they're possible. I think that the – the fact that they've responded the way they did against Northwestern leads me to believe that they probably won't be playing like they played against Illinois again, though other good teams are like them. And we know what they look like at their best. At their best, they can hang with Michigan. They could possibly beat them. But I, I would want to see how they chain these games together because it's four or five on the road, and this has been a historically not great road team.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So, Justin, what are you looking for in this stretch as well?
3: I think for me we go back to finishing halves and just, you know, trying to be composed. These are going to be, you know, tough places to play. Wisconsin is a hard place to play. Nebraska, they've never been historically good, has become a tough place to play in the Big Ten. Michigan is packed now a tough place to play. So, you know, when things go wrong, Maryland's got to, you know, just stay, you know, stay the course where, you know, Michigan State, even though, they, they are a very good team and better than Maryland. Maryland kind of let that game get out of hand and let it get away from them. And I think that was kind of the big thing, you know, missing from last night is Maryland, you know, never, it never felt like they were really letting Northwestern back in the game and could kind of, you know, get through it and, you know, get an easy win. Whereas against Illinois, they did not respond that way. Even though I guess going back to the stretch they had during that seven game win streak, you know, Minnesota, that was a game where Maryland trailed for most of it or a good portion before, you know, turning it on and, you know, winning by 15. And then Ohio State, who had chances to get back in, including at the start of the first half, then Maryland put them away. So they so they can draw on those experiences to do it, but, you know, this stretch is going to be tough. It's not like we thought that being in January, you know, the first half of conference play has sorted itself out and teams like, you know, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Iowa have kind of, you know, risen or stayed in that top half. So it's going to be tough, but I think Maryland, which they need to stay composed, which can be hard for a young team. But I think that's the key where, you know, guys like Cowan, Morsell, Fernando have to be able to, you know, keep the team steady. Cause you know, there's going to be a point in probably every one of these four road games where the home team goes on a run and gets the crowd behind them. And Maryland's going to have to figure out a way to weather it.
1: Well, maybe it's an Anthony Cowan three from the logo. That always seems to work.
3: It it does, especially late. I mean, considering he only played nineteen minutes against uh, Northwestern, I don't know what is he going to drop against Wisconsin. Considering he can drop twenty when he plays forty minutes every game,
1: he'll be he'll be fresh. And that's a rare thing to say about Anthony Cowan is that he'll be fresh. So very interesting games to come. We will podcast after Nebraska next week, which will be in the middle. Of this stretch. The only good thing for Maryland, I think I could say, is that the schedule lightens up a bit, so it's not terrible in terms of dates. They play on Friday, and then they play the following Wednesday, then the following Tuesday, then Saturday. So the schedule opens up a bit, and they'll have more time to practice and reset their batteries as opposed to the other stretch where they were playing every three days, which is something that I think this team kind of needs. Maybe they need a little bit of a break after all the games they've been playing, and that's fair. Even with 20 games in the Big Ten, the conference schedule is pretty jumbled. Now we focus on football and Thomas I'll ask you. Do you want to start with the players or the coaches because there's a lot to get to in both of these camps and the coaching staff we kind of knew what was coming already and the players there's just so much news to get to with that. So what would you like to start with?
2: I mean I guess we'll start with players because that's more recent.
1: There were a little some bit coaches more
2: recent. There's it's a little bit yeah, it's a little bit all over the place. We'll go players first. I would like um, to
1: start with, firstly, the transfers, because these are very interesting. And, and not that they came out of nowhere, but they're fascinating case studies in what happens if Mike Locksley was the head coach in 2016 as opposed to DJ Durkin in one case, obviously with KeAndre Jones. But it's also – Maryland's going to have to get a lot of its success in recruiting players. is probably through transfers, at least for the time being, because there's not a ton of death left in this class, as we've noticed. But also – They've been really good at getting transferred players in, and these two players are both ones that could contribute immediately if they're eligible next season.
2: Absolutely, I think the I, the the hope is at least Jones, uh, with with Trey Watson graduating, you know, that Jones would be able to step in and be maybe the next, you know, big time Maryland linebacker. Um, that's that's a lot to ask, but I think that's kind of the hope. Now do they don't you, they don't have a lot of proven guys there.
1: Yes, and it's obviously in a position of a ton of need. Uh, now, do we know whether he's graduated or not? Because that would obviously we don't
2: we don't know for sure. My best guess is that he either will or has graduated from Ohio State. I don't I don't know exactly how it works because he's enrolled at Maryland right now. But I feel like he, this isn't a move you would make if you weren't going to be immediately eligible.
1: And I think that they also could get a waiver for him probably, but that's the dicier situation. I think in terms of the waivers, Savoy has the hardship. If you've heard about the story, uh, what happened with his, his brother, I believe it's, it's absolutely horrific. And he is coming back to play closer to home, obviously. And I think that might be where Maryland could get a waiver for him to be immediately eligible, although they are pretty deep at wide receiver. So, if he's not eligible, then it's not going to kill them. But if Keandre Jones is eligible this year, and he'd have one year left of eligibility as a, I guess, a pseudo grad transfer, he would absolutely go in and fill the Trey Watson role, so to speak, immediately. And that is probably the place where Maryland needs bodies the most, is the linebacking position. And they're changing up their defense, so it won't be as uh, not relying on linebackers as it was in the last couple of years.
2: Yeah, that's positive. I mean, I would, I would still say. Defensive end is is a big area where they they just need bodies. Kind of the trenches in general. Um, that's been, a you know, a focus of the new staff as they sort of re-ramp up the recruiting efforts. And Maryland does have a lot of, you know, younger linebackers. I think they got five or six in the 2018 class. But, you know, none of those guys are proven. And... It's not like Keandre Jones is super proven either. You know, he never quite broke through at Ohio State, but, you know, everyone kind of understands the talent is there. And, you know, for him to get the opportunity, he he seems like the kind of guy who can make the most of it. And I think that's, that's really where this excitement comes from.
1: And it's also a player that, of course, would have been going to Maryland if Mike Waxley had been named the head coach, which is ironic, but. That's kind of how it works. And with Savoy, as we said, I think there's more of a likelihood that he's going to get the waiver for next season as opposed to Jones. That's just from my cursory reading of the situation. Uh, I think he could contribute right away, but the difference is with Keandre Jones is he's at a position where Maryland needs that experience and depth, whereas Savoy comes into a position where Maryland already has guys who they're going to be really high on. So I wonder what kind of impact Savoy is going to have at that position because Maryland had the four guys from last year who played pretty well when a quarterback threw them the ball.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think wide receivers is a, a kind of position where, you know, if, if you can throw the ball, which isn't, you know, a total given with Maryland, but if you can throw the ball, you can, you know, a lot of different receivers can contribute, even if they don't all put up huge numbers. Like last year, it was, the, it was those four true freshmen. But you know they didn't burst out until sort of late in the season, except J. Sean Jones. Um, you know it was still Tavon Jacobs and DJ Turner. Will will be back. Jarvis Davenport will not.
1: Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. you're right. These are people who are very interested in uh, our podcast who are cheering in the background. I love having a rooting section for this show. Let's talk about good Maryland football things
3: doesn't happen very
1: often it does not happen very often but i admire what they are doing and when it's cold everywhere you gotta stay in and what better way of doing it than cheering for a podcast recording i've never heard of that before unless it's doug loves movies but regardless of this thomas on savoy you have a player who has talent uh we don't know where he's going to fit in obviously immediately but it's not as if maryland is desperate for bodies at that position so if he has to wait a year, and he's going to have two more years of eligibility, we believe. Uh, there's not as much of a drop-off in, from Keandre Jones to what Maryland has right now as opposed to Savoy to what Maryland already has on the roster is kind of the point of this. But it's still a good player for Maryland to get. And if they can get some of these transfers, it'll help plug in the holes that they don't have the ability necessarily to fill with guys coming in in the 2019 class.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and these are these are the kind of stories that if they if they do turn out, I mean, they'll that'll be something that Loxley can point to for for a long time. And that's kind of you know, something that's been talked about is the, you know, the grass isn't always greener and if you you know, if you come back home and, you know, you're able to find success, that's something that he can point to a lot of recruits and tell them, "Why don't you just come here the first time?"
1: Well, there's also that and then it's the idea that, of course, so many players transfer. You have the ability to get those guys coming in, no matter whether they have previous associations in the area or not. I think that's one way where Maryland can get a step ahead of the competition. It's like we might not get the five stars the first time. What if we get guys who need a second chance and just need a change of scenery and do a really good job of that? Then they have an opportunity to be incredibly successful because Cowher had a good season last year. Trey Watson was really, really good. And they've had a lot of good transfers. Be J.C. Jackson's have got to play in the Super Bowl. So they have a lot of recent examples where they can cite and say, if you come here, not even if you didn't work out in your first stop, we can help you here too. And that's a way that you can kind of close the gap if you're not as good at recruiting the first time. And Maryland has, obviously, those deficiencies. And Justin, there's so much else to get to. They've gotten some 2019 kids. They lost two. Let's get to the kids that they picked up first. And one of them is a Juco transfer couple are, I think, mostly defensive guys because Maryland just needs bodies, as Thomas said. So who are these players that Maryland has gotten for the 2019 class?
3: So, yeah, you know, I mean, three, you know, guys picked up this weekend. None of them seem to be, you know, immediate contributors right away. More depth guys, you know, Juco defensive end, Sam, position of need, you know, kind of a, you know, 50-50 shot. You know, why not give someone a chance? I mean, Juco guys, it depends on, you know, whether they're, recruited the first time doesn't work out they go there and come back or they're from you know junior college just go straight but it's a position that you know Maryland desperately needs bodies and basically has since you know Yannick Ngakwe and Quentin Jefferson left so it could work out I think it's a good score to take and they pick up two defensive backs Irwin Bird more of a corner and Trayvon Collins more of a safety you know two guys that you know, we could contribute down the line for a defensive back group that's not as loaded as it was last year with still some young guys that need to step up. And I think the more interesting thing is you look at Collins and birdie, you know, both from, you know, Georgia and Florida, which are places that, you know, have a ton of talent and guys that, you know, maybe overlook that maybe I know there's times just a Mike Loxley can, you know, recruit the DMV and there's the talent there, but, you know, town, other places, and they, they can find those guys that, you know, the big schools there and the powerhouses overlook, you know. They can find some good players. I mean, look at, you know, Jay Sean Jones this past year. He's a Florida recruit. He had a great year.
1: That's something that, as we talk about, that's kind of what Maryland's MO has got to be. If you ace the DMV and you could get good guys – who needed a second chance and needed a change of scenery. And then you also could get guys that were overlooked by the big schools in states like Georgia and Florida, where they do have connections. It certainly helps. And this recruiting staff has the ability to do that. And they have the ability to sell. And Maryland's always is going to be able to have their bread and butter of turning three stars into great players. TJ Moore, for example, or Darnell Savage. I don't remember what his star rating was, but he had a really good senior bowl and is going to get drafted. And, and, they're, these are the kind of players that Maryland has to be really good at developing. And they, even DJ Durkin, for all of the ills of DJ Durkin, he did that pretty decently. So we'll see whether Maryland can do that again. They did lose two recruits. One of them was the quarterback, uh, David Summers, who is going to Syracuse. And the way that it works is he will end up having to come in when Maryland plays Syracuse this fall and then beat Maryland because that's always how it works. And they also lose the running back whose name I am forgetting, but I will figure Jordan out Houston. in just a moment. What was that?
3: Jordan Houston.
1: Thank you very much. I forgot his name, but now I remember it because you told me he is going to NC State. So Maryland lost a couple of recruits, which is not really that surprising, all things considered, because of the change in coaching staff. So, Thomas, they have 12 players committed in the 2019 class. Then they have the two transfers that are coming in, both who could be eligible in 2019 but might not be. There is one week left until signing day. So what is left for this staff to do now that it is mostly complete? So I
2: definitely expect him to add a few, you know, a few more guys. I think Loxley said he wanted to get it to a full class. That that won't happen, but I still think they could add probably another five six guys realistically. They don't have a quarterback or a running back in the class. Quarterback, of the two, is probably more of need. Just because Cassim Hill's oh. hurt, and the only guys on scholarship right now are Tyrell Pigram, Max Borgeslager, Tyler Dessou.
1: Yeah, I, I think so. You want you
2: want one more. That. You know, they had two running backs committed in this class at one point, so obviously, I think that they would love to get at least one, even if it was just as a you know, somewhat of a project. But
1: or even a grad transfer or somebody like that, just to make up yeah. numbers.
2: and then and then kind of beef up the lines because. They're losing a lot more than they bring in on on both those sides, so and, so those will be their areas of focus um, over these last couple of weeks.
1: Absolutely. Over this last week. Well, this is the last week, and we've I don't pay much attention to the links of these players because they could come out of not nowhere, but that's kind of what we saw with the way that the recruiting cycle in the last week or two played out. And of course, there will be transfers, there will be grad transfers, and that season doesn't really stop on February 6th. so there are more guys that Mike Loxley and his team could get to fill out the staff. I would say quarterback and the lines are obviously pretty important, and especially quarterback because, you know, with Maryland, all the quarterbacks are going to get injured at some point, and that's just how it goes, no matter who the coach is. And for the coaching staff, uh, John Hoke was confirmed as defensive coordinator, and they hired a couple of other guys as well, uh, Thomas, that I would like you to talk about because I only know one thing about uh, the new defensive line coach is that he once played for the New York Dragons in the AFL and that was because your picture of him was him playing with the New York Dragons of the Arena Football League. They no longer exist.
2: Yeah, I felt like I felt like it would have been important to uh, put an Arena Football League picture on there cuz Getty didn't have any old pictures of him with Maryland
1: which was Did sad. you know? Did you know that the mascot of the New York Islanders is Sparky the Dragon and that he comes from the New York Dragons Arena Football League team because they once played both in the Nassau Coliseum. If you didn't know that, now you do. That is today's bit of useless information you get on the Desudo Times podcast.
2: The quiz will be next week.
1: Uh, yeah. This yeah, sorry and – oh, oh, by the way, also part of the quiz, Rutgers just beat Indiana. Yes.
3: Where?
2: At, At Rutgers. Home. At the rack.
1: At the rack.
3: Yeah. Rest in peace, Archie Miller, Chris so, Holtman, so, so and Tim way, Miles.
1: So, by the way, four wins now for Rutgers in the Big Ten. Three for Indiana. Sorry, That's Romeo. That's a school record, four wins for Rutgers in the Big Ten. Oh, it's amazing, isn't it? We can make fun of I the we must finish We must finish with the coaching news. I'm sorry. I just had to mention that because it was brought to my attention as we were talking about the uh, recruiting situation.
2: Yeah, so so John Hoke is, you know, kind of an underwhelming hire because he hasn't been a sole defensive coordinator since 2001, when which was I was four. So, I was you know, eight, it's been a while.
1: And that was when the Patriots and Rams played in the Super Bowl the first time. Yeah. <laughs> also in um, 2001, a song called Wherever You Will Go By The Calling was a big hit. That wouldn't happen anymore in 2019. It's another it uh, difference in time. Yeah,
2: and uh, Delbert Cowsette played in the NFL at the time. He did play
1: so, in the NFL at the and time. And now
2: he's he's Maryland's defensive line coach. He's... <laughs> I think a slightly more exciting hire, a because you know this is his alma mater. He's kind of coming back home. Loxley was on staff when he played for Maryland, and because he he seemed to do a pretty good job at Albany. You know, he was their defensive line coach and co DC and or assistant head coach, and they did some pretty good things. They struggled this year, but were solid defensively the last couple of years. Um, did a good job rushing the passion those those years so he he seems like a pretty good hire he's not the the first guy you would think of but at this stage in the game i think it's probably a good get maryland's got nine of those spots filled now so there's there's one more i'm not really sure what they'll do with it you would think uh you know you get a linebackers coach that it's our it had been previously reported that John Papuchis, the special teams coordinator, was going to coach linebackers, and it was reported this week that he's going to make three hundred fifty thousand, which you would think would involve more than just special teams. Um, mm-hmm. But if if he is going to coach linebackers, then it's kind of unclear what you do with that tenth spot. Maybe you get, you know, a, another. You coach like a position subgroup like defensive tackles or safeties which is what they did last year i don't know you have a lot of options
1: i wouldn't even begin to speculate on what those options could be now they also hired a strength and conditioning coach which normally would be something you'd kind of overlook but at maryland you can't overlook that now and so please explain thomas a little bit about i think i
2: mean strength coaches are important you you pay attention to them when you're hired and then you forget about them until they start having a really good twitter presence and then and you, Chuck, you forget about Chuck them. Weights at players. And then you forget about them until you read that they started chucking weights at players. Yes,
1: this is absolutely yes. correct. So, strength and conditioning coach very important until they're not, until they are again.
2: Yeah. So, so Ryan Davis comes from Colorado State. The assistant strength coach, uh, Matthew File, comes from Oregon. Uh, Did Oregon he, also
1: have issues with that because of the workouts? Okay.
3: He came in after them.
1: Oh, he came in after, that was okay.
3: That was 2017 Taggart under Willie Taggart. It was only there a year. Yes. Year.
1: I, I, I do not pay attention to the ins and outs of the Oregon coaching staff. So when I heard Oregon, I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Didn't they also have a similar thing than what happened to Maryland? And they did, but okay. Thank you for correcting that.
2: Yeah, I mean, and Davis, he doesn't have a super extensive background, but he seems pretty well regarded. And, you know, the sort of the reaction on Twitter, you know, Maryland hasn't formally announced it, but the reaction on Twitter has been pretty positive from people who know him, you know, saying, you know, Maryland got a good one, whatever. So I think it seems like a pretty good hire and I hope we don't hear from them too much.
1: That would be spectacular. And that seems to be pretty much it for the coaching search, which I, I would say overall, because we're not going to have a chance, I guess, to grade it. I mean, Mike Locksley went out swinging Thomas, trying to get the big names. He couldn't get most of the big names he wanted. Some of the things were of his control. Some of them were not of his control. But in the end, what kind of grades would you give Mike Locksley's first coaching staff at Maryland? And it will not look like this for a long time because of coaching staff turnover that is always present in this business. But for his first staff at Maryland, what do you think the grade would be for you?
2: I'm personally going to go with B, B+. I I, kind of like the mix of um, kind of up-and-coming coaches, really good recruiters, and really experienced coaches. Like, he's got a few guys with decades and decades of experience. And then, like, Elijah Brooks comes from high school. Uh, Mike Miller, this is his first head coaching job. Corey Robinson, um, he's taken – you know, he's kind of moved up quick bounced around upward for the last couple of years so um it's a mix of you know guys who've been around and guys who seem to be up and comers and then i think it as well illustrated by scotty montgomery you know who was a head coach last year but you know that may not have turned out well but he seems pretty well regarded as a coordinator and as an offensive mind. And so, you know, those are the kind of hires that, you know, I, I understand that they're not easy to get excited about, especially when, you know, you think someone like Josh Gaddis is coming.
1: I mean, but, his ideal was Josh Gaddis and Butch Jones. And whatever you think about Champions of Life stuff, that's different than who they ended up getting. It's not like they got bad coaches, but they went out swinging and they missed. And most Maryland coaching searches do not end up going out swinging. You know what I mean? And that's why I think there's some disappointment, but in the end, they didn't strike out. They got a pretty good coaching staff, all things considered. And also considering how long it took, because normally these things don't take as long as it has with Maryland for some reasons in Mike Loxley's control and others not in his control. Yeah,
2: and I'm not sure you know, kind of how to gauge that, because the sooner you get coaches hired, the sooner they can help with recruiting. And you know, the fact that some of these coaches were hired very late, you know, puts Maryland a little bit behind the eight ball. Recruits don't know who their position coach is going to be, things like that. But, you know, the staff as it's as it's assembled
3: now seems reasonably solid.
1: Justin, what do you think?
3: I mean, as much as, you know, you wanted Maryland to go out and get, you know, Josh Gattis or a top guy, I mean... That was kind of hard to, you know, really come to fruition just because, of you know, it is Maryland and there are, you know, seemingly greener pastures elsewhere. But like Thomas said, I like the mix of, you know, experienced guys who have, you know, coached in the NFL, coached at, you know, college for a while and just kind of know the ins and outs of the game and know what it takes. They may not be, you know, splashy like the big names, but, you know... And they've seen, you know, guys break out, guys not do well. They have experience to know, you know, what works. And I also, you know, think it's good that, you know, Loxley seems to be paying it forward with some of these guys. I think six of the nine assistant coaches are African-American. So he's trying to, you know, get more people, more diversity in college, in a, you know, college football coaching landscape that doesn't really have it. But I think, you know, for, you know how he came in how he had to you know coach Alabama for you know a month after he was hired and then you know scramble to hire hire guys and that not work out I think you know it was a pretty decent job you know like I said a lot of experience a lot of connections to Maryland guys who you know seem like they'd be happy working here and not you know saying you know oh you know I need I wanted to get back into coaching and Maryland was the only school that called.
1: And they have guys who could be on their way up and guys that for Maryland, they could end up keeping for a while if it goes well. So that seems to be like the mix that we hope to see. And of course, signing day is next Wednesday. Testudo times is going to have all the coverage you could ever want on signing day and who Maryland has and what they'll still need after signing day is over. Justin, we need to now go to women's basketball. We spoke last week about how they weren't necessarily playing their best. They were still coming away with wins in most instances. Then, They had a similar-ish game against Ohio State, pulled away in the end, and then they went to Indiana and blew them out. And now they have a stretch of three games where the teams they're playing are particularly poor, Wisconsin, Illinois, and Northwestern. So it seems like Maryland might be finding its stride again.
3: Yeah, I think it did look like that against Indiana. There was a nice article in the Washington Post that said, you know, the day before the Michigan State game, which was – Easily their worst of the two losses where Fries really called out, you know, Kyle Charles and Stephanie Jones said to be more of a leadership, you know, be more accountable. And they didn't play well against Michigan State. But, you know, things in practice, as much as, you know, fans hope, they transfer immediately over to games. They usually don't, and it seems, you know, they finally, you know, got in, got in their heads, got ingrained against Indiana, where it's like they play completely perfect just because it's really hard, kind of at a slow start. But once they, you know, got going, did really well against a team that I believe was 9-1 and one at home coming into that game, it helped Indiana couldn't shoot really well. But, you know, Kyla Charles burst out after a quiet, you know, quiet few games. So that's always helpful. And I think it just gives them, you know, kind of the confidence they needed where, you know, I think they kind of knew, you know, weren't playing as well, but still winning. And now, you know, they see what they can do for that, you know, full 40 minutes. And like you said, you know, the next three games, something they can kind of build upon Illinois and Wisconsin are not very good, can kind of, you know, test some things, you know, see how everything's working and, you know, maybe get some, get some rest to players that need it, get, you know, in the back end of the bench, some minutes Northwestern, not great, but they did, Beat Indiana, who Maryland just played, so not as bad as Illinois and Wisconsin, and we're a team that, you know, Maryland had trouble last year, kind of came out flat after a crazy one over Ohio State.
1: Yeah, and then, Thomas, I think that it, it just kind of gives you the confidence to know that they could finally play up to their potential, because that was probably the first time since that South Carolina game <laughs> where they played like, okay, this is what I expected a Maryland team to look like. They didn't really look like that in many of their Big Ten games up until that Indiana game where they started just rebounding. They shot the ball well. They moved the ball well. And Indiana's not a terrible team, and they're not the top end of the Big Ten, but Maryland went into their gym and destroyed them. And now they've got three very, very winnable games, games where they could be winning by a lot. Before, you've got Iowa. You've got at Rutgers. You've got Minnesota. You've got more difficult games ahead and Maryland's going to be in a scrap to win the Big Ten regular season, which they've done before. And they expected it wouldn't be as difficult this year because it was kind of them and then everybody else. But it's not that right now, even though the Big Ten's pretty open at this point. So having that Indiana game, that performance, I think really kind of settles down the team a little bit and says, yeah, we could play like this. It's not going to be a scratch and claw to get a win against teams that are inferior to us. And I think that that's the kind of game that this Maryland team desperately needed.
2: Yeah, for sure, especially on the road where, you know, they went into Michigan State's gym and, you know, really didn't have anything. And so they'll come back home. They'll have, you know, a few home games. And then, as you said, the next few games are winnable. And then they'll get into a stretch where, you know, they'll be playing some of the other teams toward the top of the standings.
1: As I said, which, at Iowa, at Rutgers, those are going to be very, very difficult games.
2: Yeah, Rutgers currently in first place. and <laughs> Told you it you know, would come going, back to bite me in the end. Well, th- I mean, they don't have Hall of Fame coaches in most sports. This is the one.
1: This is true.
2: She can overcome Rutgers, I believe.
1: <laughs> very few people can overcome Rutgers. Greg Sciano That's was why, one, and Vivian Stringer is the other. Yep.
2: Elite company. Yeah, absolutely. But, yeah, so, I mean, they they do control their own destiny for for the Big Ten still. And, you know, I think a performance like that against Indiana, who, you know, was receiving votes and had been ranked the week prior, um, you know, that that can give you kind of the jolt of confidence that you need.
1: Mm -hmm. The, The rest of their schedule, again... They get Northwestern, and that's next Thursday. Then at Rutgers is going to be a difficult one. Nebraska at home should be winnable. Then at Iowa versus Minnesota. It's like if they can win most of them, they've got two losses. If they can just beat the teams in front of them, and Iowa's around them in terms of ranking, Rutgers is around them in terms of ranking. I don't know where they ended up in the polls after what happened last week. They were 11th. I don't know if they moved up very much, but somebody can correct me they, on that if I'm wrong. They
3: didn't move up at all. Okay. But, yeah.
1: So, they're, again, they're playing teams that are around them, and they need to be able to have that confidence. And they, it's not that they haven't been playing with confidence, but they haven't played like Maryland. But it seems like now that starting to turn the corner, they said, Wisconsin, oh that is going to be taking place tonight, Thursday, and then at Illinois versus Northwestern before then they play Rutgers. And the great part about that was at the end of the game, you had Brenda Freeze with her two kids being interviewed in the background of Assembly Hall where the men's team hasn't won. And so that was kind of nice to say because Brenda, anytime Brenda freezes kids show up, it's a great thing, especially when they're on camera. So that was pretty good. And it came after a game in which Maryland was utterly dominant. So that was also spectacular. I've been informed that lacrosse is starting this weekend, which is odd because it's freezing out. And I remember doing lacrosse games that got postponed because it was too cold.
2: Oh, freezing is selling short. What's going on right now. Like the wind chill here is, you know, was minus one at dinnertime. Um, it is it'll it'll actually be up ITV. to right now. It'll be up to the 40s by Saturday, so I'm not sure what they're gonna what they're gonna do with it. I think they might still play it.
1: They They'll play it. Season, it's normally a couple more weeks before the lacrosse season usually starts, isn't it? Or am I remembering this wrong?
3: I think they started a week later last year, but I guess because they didn't want to play another midweek game. Or, you know, maybe they want to, you know, keep having one game a week. They, you know, played. They decide to, you know, start at this day instead of a week later.
1: Okay. Uh, I need people to tell me what's happening with Maryland lacrosse because I haven't been paying much attention. I thought it was too cold to play lacrosse basically in January. So who'd like to do it that? Is. Well, it is, can... but but they're going to try. Okay. Kudos. Yeah, they'll –
3: I'm pretty sure they'll play because last year their opener was like 40s and rainy, and they played because I mean, kind of have to, unless they think there's going to be like lightning or a tornado, they're going to play. But the team this year, I mean, definitely a little bit on the younger end, but you still have, you know, experienced guys. You kind of have a young, you know, trio leading the offense. Jared Bernhardt takes over the number one jersey. He's a junior, had a second leading scorer last year. Behind Connor Kelly, who has since graduated, then you have Bubba Fairman, who you know has been getting a lot of hype basically, you know, since you know his high school days, just because he's a Utah native and they don't really have lacrosse out there, even though Utah is starting a program this year. So people expect him to take the next leap. Then the guy who no one really seems to talk about, which I find kind of ridiculous, is Logan Wisnowskis, who I believe had the Most goals of any Maryland freshman since 2001, and he'll be another solid compliment. So you expect those three to lead the offense. And then defensively a little more experienced. Curtis Corley somehow bigger than he was last year when he was already easily the strongest person on the team, going to be the main cover guy, good leader down there. The biggest question I think for Maryland is in goal. You lose Dan Morris, who was, you know, not spectacular, but always solid, really good really good in close range definitely kept them in some games so that's going to be something key to watch early on is you know who emerges in goal and then last year you know defensive midfield was not great Maryland short sticks got killed quite a bit they have you know two guys and Thomas O'Connell who do come back but you'll have to see if there's improvement there and once again you know John Tillman does not schedule light they have him with Bucknell who was you know really close to making the tournament last year. You know, got games against Albany, Notre Dame, you know, traditional rivals in North Carolina, Navy, and then the Big Ten, which is as good as anywhere. So, you know, other talented team, I think the expectation is, you know, another Memorial Day spent, you know, playing lacrosse and possibly for a title.
1: It's going to be in Philly again this year.
3: It is. I think returning for the first time since the uh, 2016 heartbreak.
1: Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. About, about that bit. Someone saw that in person. Someone talked about that in person. Interesting time. Uh, you have any thoughts on cross, Thomas? I'm going to let y'all fill in because i got to be honest. After what happened in 2016, I kind of got burnt out. And for good reason.
2: You missed it, Matt. They won the title in 2017. I,
1: you know, I paid attention when they won the title. That's, that's what I did.
2: But... Yeah, I mean, kind of what, what Justin said does fit. I think that, you know, the the offense is young but talented. The defense is pretty proven. Um, the goalie is a question mark. There are, like, three different guys who it could be, and I I have no idea who has the upper hand. I don't know if John Tillman has it. I'm sure he, he knows better than anyone, but, you know, he hasn't said publicly who he expects to –
3: to John Toman warms up the goalie before every game. He definitely has an idea. He has an idea. He just doesn't want to tell us. No, I'm
1: good I mean, you
3: can blame him. But it's not like we've seen any of them except in mop-up duty.
2: I even then, hardly any.
1: I would not know even so, less about these things. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, so they'll,
2: you know, they're, they're number three, I believe, in the preseason poll right behind yale who won the championship and duke who was in the Lost. championship game so um you know he'll be in the picture
1: i think they always are it'd be a yep. weird season if they weren't it and would and and it hasn't
2: i don't think it's happened under tillman where they haven't really been in the picture
1: yeah and
3: john tillman seven final fours in eight years gonna he's gonna find a way to keep him in the mix it always seems to happen
1: He is a pretty good coach at what he does. So, yes, men's lacrosse on the weekend. It is freezing cold out, and it might not be as freezing cold by Saturday, but that's a good Super Bowl warm-up for you, isn't it? Watching Maryland lacrosse. Probably make you happier than watching the Super Bowl. I can guarantee you that. Specifically the halftime show. Anyway... Uh, one more thing to mention about Maryland sports and that is as Wallace Lowe is returning as president Soto sort of he's his stay was supposed to be ending in the summer of this year. It's now ending in the summer of 2020. Thomas, do you have any thoughts on that? I really don't cause he's still leaving. It probably gives them more time to find a replacement, which they really weren't going to have a great chance to find in four months. This allows them to extend that search and make it more thorough in many ways.
2: Yeah. I mean, by that logic, it, it, does make sense i'm not really sure why they hadn't started to take steps to find a replacement sooner and you know even if you you didn't feel like you had the person you could at least you know maybe decide on you know who would be an interim president you know to to extend him for a full extra year has kind of turned off a lot of people and i i understand it You know, I think if, if it is, you know, it probably is time to, to change leadership and to, to get, you know, some fresh ideas in and, you know, another year of Wallace Lowe is the opposite of that. So it, you know, there is frustration from kind of a lot of people on this and it's warranted.
1: It's absolutely warranted, because the fearless ideas thing is kind of stale by now, but, I mean, you don't want to rush into making a bad decision, because they've already made bad decisions, and remember, this is the dysfunctional viper pit, it can't all be good. Well, it's going to be a bad decision anyway. That's what, well, as I'm saying, like, I'd rather put more thought into the bad decision, as opposed to rushing and making a bad decision, that's normally how I would go about doing it, but then again, I don't know how others might do it, and they are in much higher positions of power than I will ever be in, so anyway it, it's again the whole the coaches are hired the ad's are done he's not going to really have much of a say in what's going on in the athletic department you would hope for the rest of the time but as i said like they could have picked up the the search but there's so much stuff they had to clean up after what happened last year that you can understand why it would take them a while to get their ducks in a row and to conduct a thorough search and couple of months is not really something when you're going to get a president of a university and a president of a flagship university of one of the 50 states in the union so i can kind of understand it from that perspective but yeah if you're angry about wallace low staying for another year i really can't blame you and there's nothing really wrong with that that's should be everything and thomas i think for all of us now it's stay warm and hope and pray that maryland finds a way to not have another game like they had against illinois
3: Uh
2: yeah or I mean for me, it's don't go to the garden. Maryland's played three games in the garden uh since I've been in school, and well i have covered three Maryland games in the garden. I didn't cover the Yukon basketball game my freshman year.
1: They did but win the that women one, played
2: the women played Yukon my freshman year, and I went to that and they lost and At least the last, the men last two won years I've lost with the men's team.
1: So I would believe that that was two consecutive losses at Madison Square Garden for the men. I also believe if you count the games at Capital One Arena, I think they've lost consecutive games in that building, too. So no more no more games in those buildings, I think, is the lesson. Just play them all in Baltimore at Xfinity Center, and everybody will be happy.
2: Well, it did beat Georgetown at uh, Capital One.
1: Oh, yeah, you're right. I was thinking more of the neutral site games, and then technically Georgetown is kind of a neutral site game. I forgot about that game existing for many reasons and oh well oops sorry about that that was the Kevin Herter game wasn't it it was it was wow oh. shows you things shows you how good my memory is anyway stay warm thank you very much for listening we'll be back next week with more basketball talk and all of our signing day but until then of course